For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. I'll start with you, Randy. How are you doing today? Doing very well, Jeff. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. And Jake, how are you? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for asking. Glad to hear that. Hope our listeners are doing well today. We've got another great show lined up for us here this fine Saturday morning. We're going to be talking about current events, of course, FDIC in the news. We're going to be talking about inflation, whether that's budging or not. But also, our second segment, we're going to be talking about something called American resilience. You'll want to stay tuned for that. Also, 401k, should I Roth or not Roth? And then the difference between wealth preservation and income generation. All that and more here on Show Me the Money. But before we get started want to remind everybody that if you've missed any part of the program today we are a podcast go to wherever you get your podcasts search show me the money randy and jake floyd you'll find a number of shows there there is bound to be one that applies to you so let's dive into current events gentlemen first of all fdic insurance we've all heard about that what is going on with that these days yeah, so the FDIC, as a lot of people are aware, you know, insures deposits up to $250,000. That is, of course, until you have a liberal Silicon Valley bank that goes <laughs> belly up and yeah. some of the most influential people in the government uh, have their money there, mm-hmm. in which case now it's unlimited. And so the FDIC is taking measures now to claw back some of their three to $500 billion worth of liquidity that they have extended through the Federal Reserve, and they are trying to claw some of that back in various ways from the banks themselves, but also from clawing back CEO bonuses. It turns mm. out paying yourself a $3.5 million bonus when you're two weeks from bankrupt, the regulating bodies frown upon that. So how does this affect the average investor who has little money in the bank? I mean, FDIC insured, we've all heard that as a disclaimer on these bank accounts. The Federal Reserve and the FDIC are not going to allow people to not be able to access their money. They're going to do whatever they have to do to fix the problem. In the worst case scenario, there may be some delays getting some of that money, and that would be a very worst case scenario. Most likely, nothing will happen that will actually affect your ability to get your money out at all. And I think it's important to take all this in context. You know, a lot of times when we're talking about the banking industry and the problems they're in, we're talking about it more from an investment or a stock of those banks banks standpoint, meaning, you know, the banking sector is going to have a hard time making money because of this. And and the worse this gets, the more likely it is to have crippling regulation put on these banks to where they basically just can't hardly make money comparatively to what they've been able to do. Yeah. I also think it's important to note that, you know, the government, the government, wow, uh, the government (laughs) is starting to take measures to look into what happened out there. The San Francisco Fed chairman probably has a lot to answer for because he has regulators and bank examiners and people that answer to him. And so he's got some splaining to do about how this how this happened. Yeah, I think that there's 
you know, there's just a, a real lack of accountability. And because the government is stepping in, and while I think it is the right thing to protect people's deposits and that kind of thing, we have to have some accountability in some of these banks, some of these practices. I mean, if I know that I'm going to get saved every time I make a mistake, how much risk am I going to be willing to take? Yeah. Unlimited. Yeah. I'm going to keep pushing the envelope, right? There was a guy that said, if you're wondering about my political philosophy and you say, well, what if the government helps and then you can just stop right there because the government, you know, <laughs> if the government has to do anything, I'm probably not really for it. I yeah. want to be governed as little as possible. Yeah. And that's not zero, but, mm -hmm. you know, let's let capitalism do its thing. Let's let free markets and a free country do their thing. And let's allow these people, these bad actors, to fail. And then maybe somebody will learn something at some point <laughs> so that we don't have to constantly be bailing them out for these bad decisions. Yeah, and a moment ago, Randy, when you said government, you paused there a little bit. It sounded like you said it with a little bit of skepticism there or sarcasm or something, right? Well, what's that old saying? I'm from the government and I'm here to help. It's like the five scariest words on the planet or something like that. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, let's face it. You know, yeah, we talked yeah. about, you know, how things have skewed, how right. the left has become way left of where it used to be. And I would say even in some cases, the right is so far right, right. that they've almost gone to the left. Right. Uh, they've almost come full circle. Mm. And like Jake said, you know, I think less government, not more. You know, you can't govern morality. No. And really, at the end of the day, that's what's at the root of a lot of this, these problems that we're having. You know, that's something that comes from someplace else. So, you know, you can't yeah. pass enough regulation to keep the criminal from figuring out the next rung in his ladder. You know, you can't govern morality, but you could put some bank CEOs in prison. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that that might discourage some of this behavior. I mean, let me ask you a question. If you were the head of SVB Bank or any of these other banks, and you know that if the bank fails, you're going to walk away with a golden parachute. Sure. Why do you care? Yeah. There's no incentive for you to, you know, do any better except from the morality standpoint. And as you said, that seems to be scarce these days. People with morals and say, I could walk away with a golden parachute, but I'm going to hurt a lot of people. I'm not going to do that. But I am just shocked that that's not the case these days. Yeah. And if this CEO of this bank truly did know that this bank was going to fail and took a three and a half million dollar bonus, that's no different than robbing a convenience store yeah, at gunpoint for course. three and a half million dollars. Yeah. I mean, that is no different. I mean, he should absolutely go to jail for a long time if he did that. And part of the reason why inflation is so sticky is because of all these measures that the government is going to provide liquidity, you know? And so when these risk taking happens, instead of it being a problem, we just shower everybody with money. Mm -hmm. And so when there's more money, there's more inflation. And last week we saw some more numbers on inflation. And while they are coming down some, it's starting to look like it's stalling out on the on the decline and that we may be stuck at four and a half to five percent for a while. If that's the case, it's going to be really hard to make the case for rate cuts anytime soon from the Fed, you know, and the Fed is largely expected now in June to pause their rate hiking. Mm. That remains to be seen, though. Um, and we still have this huge divide between what the market thinks the Fed's going to do and what the Fed is saying that they're going to do. They're saying that it's very likely we will not have any rate cuts this year. 
the market is pricing in a rate cut in July. They're mm-hmm. going to pause in June and cut in July. So one of those two is correct, but they are mutually exclusive. You cannot have both. And so that will likely become painfully, you know, people will become painfully aware of that as that starts to get priced in one way or the other. Well, as you said, inflation, four and a half, five percent. I think the goal is somewhere around 2%. We were two, 2.1 for a very long period of time. And from my personal standpoint, I'm not seeing a lot of prices come down. Those prices are still somewhat inflated and it doesn't look like that they're going to be coming down anytime soon. And I point to things like just a market basket of goods. I'm still paying as much or more for a lot of things than I used to maybe a year, two years ago. So as you said, no rate cuts, but no further rate hikes. Are we going to be stuck at this 4.5% for the foreseeable future? I mean, I guess the question, no one has a crystal ball, at least one that works, is that when are we going to get back to this 2% and what's it going to take to do that? Well, to your point, Jeff, you know, we just saw cattle prices hit nationwide. Now, again, around here, I haven't been paying attention to the prices right here in our backyard, but uh, nationwide, the prices have hit the same level that they were in in 2014, 2015. And and anybody that's running cattle out there listening to this uh, knows that cattle got insanely expensive Mm -hmm. there for a little while. And I think cattle is going up again right now because it's so expensive to raise them. You know, there's a lot of people just saying, hey, I can't even afford the hay to feed these cattle, even if I have them already, you know? And so there's a lot of people selling out and, you know, that's going to create a shortage, which is going to drive prices higher. And so, you know, that's just one aspect of this, you know, as we're looking through this. But to answer your question a little more directly, you know, I think the Fed's going to have to remain higher on interest rates. They don't necessarily have to raise from here, but they are going to have to stay here until something starts to break. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people that think, that we just go up here, we touch 5%, and then we can go back down and everything will be hunky-dory. And I think that they have something else coming. They're going to stay here until they feel like they can't. And so, you know, I think everybody needs to buckle up here and there's going to be some rocky roads. Again, that doesn't mean markets can't go higher in the meantime, but it does mean that there is somewhat of a lid on this thing until we can get some of this corrected. As you said, markets can't go higher in the meantime, so let's bring it back to the consumer who's listening to us uh, today, this particular program. What do we do as an investor? Someone who's getting ready to retire and thinking about getting into the market, is this a time, uh, I mean, are there buying opportunities that we can take advantage of this market? Should we uh, stay in the market? Should we get out of the market, go to cash? I mean, how do we really decipher all this as it applies to us? Great question, Jeff. And again, we will always go back to the fact that, you know, if you're a youngster right now, and you're, when I say a youngster, if you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s and maybe even your early 50s, you know, you just need to continue to invest. And I would say, you know, try to invest in the broad market inside your 401k, which is going to lead you down the path, you know, of an S&P 500 fund or something like that. There's also the target dated funds out there that if, as you push them out further and further, they go more toward equities and less toward bonds. But if you're a youngster, like I said, you just need to keep funding, get at least what the employer is going to match. And, uh, you know, if markets go on down a little bit, you're going to catch, you know, some lower prices and buy more shares. If you are, say, 55-ish and Mm -hmm. older, you need to be looking at how do I protect what I've earned while I take income? And we will talk about that more later in the program. And so how you invest and what you invest in is is drastically affected by where we are right now. So with interest rates being as they are, we have fixed accounts now that are paying nearly 5% mm-hmm. and they're paying monthly dividends into an account. So for a lot of folks, that's a great place to be. And we have a bunch of money parked that way right now.
now in uh, government treasury money markets and things of that nature so that they're you know they're safe as as we can predict you know and now of course we got this challenge with the debt ceiling and congress passing some uh, slack there so we can basically uh, kick the can down there a little bit further <laughs> yeah that's we got that playing on that but everybody's strategy is going to be a little different depending on what they need for income some people need you know one or two percent of their assets as income some people need five six percent of their assets as income and how we invest money and what tool we use uh, is much different based on the risk tolerance and the needs of the client and as you said randy later on in the program we'll be talking about the difference between wealth preservation and income generation that's coming up later on in the program you're listening to show me the money with randy and jake floyd glad you decided to include us in your saturday morning plans if you're interested in how all this applies to you you want to get in sit down with randy and jake and talk about your individual situation whether it's preserving your wealth or generating some income randy and jake are sure to have the answers for you we're offering a no cost no obligation no judgment financial review to get yours call 417-889-7233 417-889-7233 is the number to call for your no cost no obligation financial review you can also go out to the website and request it floydfinancialgroup.com that's floydfinancialgroup.com do it today we'll take a quick break be right back with more of show me the money right here on 104.1 ksgf where springfield comes to talk Nowadays, 401ks are a part of life. Chances are you or your spouse have a current one or even an old one that's tied to some long forgotten job. I'm Randy Floyd of the Floyd Financial Group here to ask you an important question about your 401k. Do you know your options, your fees, and if you're maxing out the benefits? If you want to know more about your 401k inside and out, call 877-889-PLAN for a complimentary review. That's 877-889-7526 or visit us online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Ready for a heapin' helpin' of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your server, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And continuing along the current events line, Jeff, we've been getting a lot of retail sales information and things this week and getting a lot of reporting from some of the major companies. And so I really want to focus on one that's a major player and kind of a bellwether, if you will, as to what's going on as far as the economy and that sort of thing. And that's Home Depot. Yeah. And so many people are fixing up their houses. And, you know, you go to a Home Depot or a Lowe's or one of those home improvement stores on the weekend and it is just so terribly busy but let's start with Home Depot so how have they done uh, sales wise and of course this all falls into our discussion about retailers yeah so if we look back over our shoulder and we look at the reporting that Home Depot has had. They've been a very strong company. They're still a very strong company and doing very well. We don't think they're going the way of Bed Bath & Beyond, but, <laughs> but anyway. Not. not for the foreseeable future, anyway. Not in the immediate future. Bed Bath yeah. & Bankrupt, that's the new name. Yeah, that's it. But uh, they had 12 straight quarters where they outperformed and did very well. Now, the last mm. two quarters, they have missed on both the top line being sales and the bottom line being profitability. So if you think about Home Depot, and Lowe's and these home improvement stores, I mean, they cut across all industries. So when these guys are having trouble making numbers, you know that it's going to be tough most anywhere to make numbers. So one of our concerns, you know, they cut their outlook for the year for top line sales somewhere between two and 5% Mm -hmm. finishing out 2023. And then profitability down as much as 13%, which I thought was an interesting correlation.
inflation there. So basically what they're talking about, I think, is less efficiency with lower sales and just more cost attached to those same sales. So anyway, you know, the retail side of things looked okay, but it is slowing. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the beginning of probably what's going to become a much bigger iceberg as the year progresses. So Randy and Jake, what do you think is causing this? You know, Jeff, I think it's a combination of things. I think, number one, I think consumers are starting to run out of credit card capacity. I think we recently saw U.S. credit card debt over a trillion dollars for the first time. You know, people are just leveraged to the hilt, and they're paying more interest than they've paid in nearly two decades. You know, they're paying lots and lots of interest on this stuff. It's not uncommon to have 25, 27, even 30% interest on some of these credit cards. Right. I think that's part of it. But I also think that retailers in general, and again, we're not just picking on Home Depot. This this goes across the board, have gotten incredibly lazy with their sales practices. You know, if I walk into a retail store, whether it be Home Depot, uh, Lowe's is the same way, obviously Walmart, other big box retailers. Right. I go in there, like, actually, not too long ago, I was looking for a dishwasher. I go in there, and I say, hey, you know, I'm looking for a dishwasher. You know, I want one that's kind of quiet and goes pretty quick, Mm -hmm. and here's what's important to me, and I'm not really worried about how much it costs, you know, I mean, as long as it's in the realm of sanity, I just want a good dishwasher. And so he goes, you know... What you should do is go online on our <laughs> store and look around and, and see what you see because I have a lot more inventory online. And I said, well, you know, what if I want to, you know, have it delivered and, you know, and I want you guys to, you know, I, I want to have that and maybe I want to buy something else and put it together. He's like, oh, yeah, you just go online and you can set up the delivery. I mean, you know, when I was in retail, the very last thing you wanted people to do was leave your store because as soon as they leave your store, right, you have no control over what happens next. And the internet is a very vast place full of Amazons and many other places that you might get some of this stuff from. So, you know, they've gotten incredibly lazy and they just send people out the door like like it's guaranteed business. Right. And what's happening is they're just so fat and happy and they've gotten so <laughs> complacent over the last 10 years or so of easy money policy and just money everywhere that they don't even know how to run the business anymore. They don't have guys to help you and, and the quote unquote pros that used to work at the Home Depots and Lowe's that would that had experience in the field that would help you come in and say, hey, you know, I'm looking to buy a drill or something, you know, He's like, well, hey, I've used this one. Here's why I like this one, that kind of thing. No, right. it's literally a guy's like, well, you know, I don't know. This one sells pretty well. Okay. <laughs> you know? and, and that's about the extent of the explanation you get. So I think the debt situation coupled with the laziness is really going to come home to roost in some of these retailers. Yeah, Jake, you're exactly right. Two other things we need to talk about right quick. I just read earlier this week that U.S. credit card debt just exceeded $1 trillion for the first time. Oh my gosh. $1 trillion. The other thing is they were talking about with interest rates being lower, looking back over our shoulder, you know, what, two and a half years ago, we could get 2% mortgages. Mm -hmm. Now they're seven and people took $430 billion out of their house house mm. and spin it oh, when wow. they refise oh refi it's what they've done so <laughs> we're wondering where all this money's been coming from we now know they're running it up on credit cards borrowing the money out of their house and going and having a good time but that's going to come to I'm not going to it is coming to an end the house is no longer the piggy bank yeah 
And, I, you know, when I go into a retailer and I buy something and I have the option, I mean, I carry, I have a number of credit cards. I carry one with me for emergency purposes, but I will reach for the debit card all the time unless I want to buy something that is, uh, you know, of a larger larger ticket item. And I know that I can pay it off, you know, in a week or two or under 30 days. But it's just a different mindset with me. But I guess uh, the rest of America is buy it, enjoy it now, and whether I can pay for it or not down the road, well, that's an option. I don't, it's right. just not an option with me. Yeah. So I think what we need to do is we need to bring this around full circle and say, okay, now what does this mean to the guy listening to this show? Yeah, today? exactly. What it probably means is softer retail sales, harder for these companies to make their numbers that they need to make, which is going to push their stock price down, push the PE, the price earnings multiple up. And we're already high in that area. And following that line of logic, they're going to start to have to lay people off because they have to cut costs to make Wall Street happy. Right. And that ultimately will fix inflation, but it will also create a recession. Right. We'll take our medicine, and then we will get back to good old American resilience. Yes. And things will get better, and we'll be honestly, uh, it could be one of the biggest bull markets we've ever seen on the other side of yes. this. It's it's hard to hard to predict exactly, but there definitely will be a lot of money to be made on the other side of this but we will have to take our lumps first a lot of people would like the the laws of life to not be true where you mm -hmm. know uh, but there are certain things that are true and you have to go through the bad to get back to the good it's cyclical in nature and uh you know as long as we're prudent while things are going down again there's a lot of safe money to be made right now you know you can get money market accounts very close to five percent now they're totally liquid so as we're going through this, you know, at least we're getting paid to wait. And so, um, you know, we're taking advantage of a lot of that. But again, what we want to be ready for is when, when people really start to throw the baby out with the bathwater and we start to get into the really negative aspects of a lot of this, that's when we really want to pounce and really start to, uh, start to take advantage of the situation. And that's how you make money long term. And I wanted to talk about something that you mentioned there, Jake, and that is American resilience. I mean, we're a very resilient country when I think about everything that America has been through with world wars and so forth and economic crises, you know, 1929, the stock market and that sort of thing. America really is resilient. And as difficult as it seems that we're in right now, I think that America is going to get through this and we're going to come out in a much better situation. Yeah, I agree 100%, Jeff. I think you are exactly right. If we look back over our shoulders, you know, we've had wars, rumors of war. We had the crash of 29, yep. Black Monday, 87. We had 2000, 2001, and 2. We had 7, 8, and 9. And, you know, we have come through all that, and we will come through this again. There's always this kind of stage we have to go through where people get really apathetic, you know, woe is me. And then eventually they go, we probably better go to work. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's even easier to feel apathetic when you have a president like the one we have. That's who's, true. who's whining about everything and, you know, can't find his notes and that kind of thing, but, you know, doesn't know where to stand on his note card. But mm -hmm. anyway, the, uh, I think that it is very, like Randy said, it's easy for people to get apathetic, but part of that cycle that we were talking about involves people getting apathetic and feeling sorry for themselves and why is this happening to me and I'm just going to stay at home instead of going to work and live on welfare and food stamps and stuff. And then eventually people get sick and tired of being sick and tired and they go back to work and, and you know, America is a place where if people are willing to work hard, anything is possible. And because of that, that's why our recoveries are always so sharp, frankly. 
And every time after those periods that Randy mentioned, you know, the market ripped higher, never looked back, and we went to all-time highs and, and significant all-time highs at that. I think that's going to be the same thing that happens here. We just have to be a little bit careful for the, for the immediate future here, and then it'll be time to make some money. Part of being resilient too, Jeff, we should point out, is being patient. Right, right. And Warren Buffett, you know, the Oracle of Omaha is what he's called. Right. You know, nickname. Basically, he said the same thing. He said, you know, people that are patient and can, you know, wait a little bit, always make more money than those that act really off the cuff and haven't really thought things through. So there's really uh, nobody that can argue with him on that. Yeah, right, for right. sure. But patience, we know, is a virtue, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's hard to be virtuous. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean, and I get the sentiment there. You know, inflation, it's been more stubborn than a lot of people expected. A recession, I think, would be terrible in a lot, a lot of ways, but it may just be the medicine that the economy needs to heal. So stay vigilant, stay resilient, and we will get through this. And there's higher cotton on the other side of this, as you say, Randy. You're listening to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd Floyd financial group once again if you're worried about how resilient you are whether or not you have a financial plan that will withstand these financial storms the one we're in right now and the ones that are on the horizon get in sit down talk with randy and jacob floyd financial group about your individual situation we're offering a no cost no obligation no judgment financial review to get yours call 417-889-7233 417-889-7233 you can also request it online of course at floydfinancialgroup.com it's floyd Floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. We'll be right back with more of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. If you're age 59 and a half or older with a 401k plan and still working, stop what you're doing and call Floyd Financial Group today at 877-889-PLAN. At 59 and a half, you're entitled to new opportunities in the investment world that can help save you thousands in 401k fees and dramatically reduce your risk of a market correction. You've worked and saved, and now's the time to protect your retirement savings. Call Randy Floyd of Floyd Financial Group today at 877-889-PLAN. That's 877-889-7526. Back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your host, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money, and in this segment, we're going to talk about, hey, how do I reduce my tax bill by saving for retirement? And that is a big concern of most people. I mean, when you think about retirement income, really, when you think about income in general, everybody is worried about taxes. And so in this particular segment, we're going to talk about ways to reduce your tax bill by saving for retirement. There are a lot of different ways that you can do that. Let's start right here at the top. And the first one is contributing to an IRA. How does that help you reduce your tax bill? So if you are working and you have earned income, you can fund money into an IRA. So there's two types of IRAs, basically. There's the Roth IRA, which does not get you a tax deduction today, but gets you one later. But the one we want to talk about here right now is the traditional IRA. So basically, if you are age 50 and older today, you can put in $7,500 a year for you, $7,500 a year for your spouse if you're married, and that comes right off of your taxable income. So $15,000, let's say you're paying 20% in taxes, that's going to save you $3,000 in taxes. So that's a very good way to go about doing that. 
So contributing to an IRA, that could be a way to reduce your taxes. And I think that that is one that most people know about, but there's some things that we're going to be talking about here in this segment that people do not talk about. The next way is going to be increasing your 401k withholding. Absolutely. So uh, when you're in your side, your 401k, if you're 50 and older, you can now fund up to $30,000 a year into a 401k. Now you have two types of 401ks. One is a Roth and one is more of a traditional. And that's what we're talking about here is the traditional to get the tax break today. And of course, I always tell people, if you have a 401k option at work, you always want to make sure you fund at least up to the level of what they match because free money is always what, Jeff? It's always great. Yeah. I don't understand why people don't realize this is free money. Really, one of the only reasons that I can think of why people do not contribute the maximum to the 401k is just because they can't afford to do it. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you can't afford not to do it. What do you think about that statement? Well, yeah, in a lot of ways, that's true, Jeff. I mean, at some point, you know, we have to start saving for our future if we want to get to the point to where we are not going to have to hold down a job. So absolutely, it's a little tough in the beginning, but once you create the habit, you really get to where you don't miss the money. You know, it's kind of what I found through my years of saving for retirement. So if you can't do the 30%, do something. But keep in mind, as Randy said, make that a habit because it is going to pay off in the future. And that goes towards that delayed gratification thing we were talking about earlier. It's hard for some people to see the future, but believe you me, I've known a lot of people who have gotten well into retirement or what they think is retirement, but they're still holding down a job because they have to. We're talking about ways to save on taxes in retirement. The next one is to make catch-up contributions. Elaborate on that. Yeah, so the catch-up contributions, and I kind of alluded to this already, if you're 50 and older, you can do $7,500 a year into your IRAs versus if you're 50 and under, it's only 6500 that you can fund there. So take advantage of those catch-ups, and that's just designed to help people later in life when you're probably making more money than you've ever made, and now you have some extra money where you can maybe catch up on your retirement savings. And let's talk about a spousal IRA. Couples really can't open a joint IRA, can they? No, the very nature of an IRA is an individual Individual, retirement Mm -hmm. arrangement is what the government calls it. Not an account, but an individual retirement arrangement. So what's the difference between an account and arrangement? I don't know about that. I don't know. Not much. That's just what they call it. And of course, our government, they have different definitions even for recession and things like that. Hmm. That's interesting. (laughs) Well, I guess we're making it up as we go along here. But couples really can defer paying income tax on up to $13,000 if they max out two traditional IRAs. And that jumps to $15,000 if both members of the couple are age 50 or older. So that's opening a spousal IRA. The next one is contributing to a 401k and IRA, and you can do that in the same year. You can, but there are some income limits that I won't get into here today because people probably wouldn't remember when they're driving. I don't want them to be trying to write something down while they're going down the road, (laughs) uh, you know, in this case. But yes, you have the ability to fund both in the same year, and that can be another big way to cut taxes. I will say this too. You know, the thing that we always have to bear in mind is that once we give the government our money, when do we see it back? Uh, pretty much never. I'm still waiting. Pretty much never. Yeah. That's it depends right. on if you're Ukrainian or not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't I don't think any elaborations needed there. Okay, yeah. I, I think we get it here. We're talking about how to reduce your tax bill by saving for retirement with Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. We've talked about contributing to an IRA, increasing your 401k withholding, making catch-up contributions, opening a spousal IRA, contributing to a 401k and IRA in the same year. 
The next one is saving in the good old Roth IRA. Yeah, Jeff, you know, I'm really surprised at this point that they've still allowed the Roth IRA to be out there. And the Roth IRA, the way it works is you get no tax benefit today, but you get tax benefit after you've had the account open five years. Uh, And of course, once you're 59 and a half, you know, for retirement income, then you get to take all that out tax-free. Now you get no tax benefit today. You pay the tax and you pay the Roth with after-tax dollars, but you get all that income free later. Now there's some interesting things here about the Roth. You know, you get phased out at certain levels. So for individuals, the max is about 153000 and for a couple, $228,000 in a year is the max income that you can make. Now, if you cannot fund a Roth in the traditional way, there are other ways to get that deal done is what I will say. So give us a call. We'll talk about the nuances of that. But the Roth can be a very valuable tool. I will say this, though. We really need to consider in every case whether the Roth is appropriate for you or not. If you're in a really high tax bracket now, it might be that the Roth is not appropriate for you. If you are in a lower tax bracket now, it may be that you're not going to be in a position where you're going to be in a high tax bracket later. We just need to really sit down and look at all the particulars and come up with a really good solution. Sometimes it's a combination. The Roth can also have some pretty good benefits if you're planning on retiring early. So mm-hmm. income out of a Roth does not show up as taxable, so it does not push your income higher. So if you retire earlier, you're going to need health insurance. That health insurance premium that you pay off of Obamacare is largely determined by how much subsidy you get back. And that's determined by how much your income is. So if I take Roth IRA money as income, it does not push my income higher. So it could help you keep your premiums for that health insurance lower. That's just kind of one of those more advanced planning techniques. But you know, that's one way that a lot of people don't think about, but that a Roth can be beneficial. And I've always wondered, I mean, a Roth IRA seems to be such an attractive option there. Why people would not want to do a Roth IRA. But again, Randy, you said it depends upon your tax bracket. Yeah, it does. You know, just depending on where you are today, I told my brother-in-law, you know, he said, well, I think, you know, this has been years ago. He said, what should I fund here? I said, well, here's the thing. With the setup we have for you, I can save you 33% on taxes today, which basically means that the government's funding a third of your retirement. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, Okay. (laughs) You know, so I mean, if we, again, it just depends on the tax bracket you're in right now. If you're a pretty high income earner, uh, Roth probably doesn't make sense for you in in a lot of ways. However, I don't want to make a blanket statement. I think that it's something we should sit down and, you know, just talk about and see what makes sense. And if you want to find out what makes sense for you with Randy and Jake Floyd and ways to save on taxes and retirement, once again, that phone number, 417-889-7233 for a complimentary consultation, 417-889-7233. Of course, we're talking about reducing your tax bill by saving for retirement. The next one is considering a Roth 401k as opposed to an IRA. A lot of the same things apply here, Jeff, as what we were talking about with the Roth IRA. I think one other consideration there, too, that a lot of people don't think about is, you know, if you're planning to pass a lot of this money to your beneficiaries, you know, you want to use it while you're here, but maybe you have quite a bit of money that you're going to pass to your kids when you're no longer here. You also want to consider what their tax burden is going to be. So maybe you have worked really hard your whole life to give your kids a leg up, and those kids got a leg up. They went to college, and they're big earners now, and maybe you're making 
making, let's say, $100,000 worth of income, you and your spouse, but your kids, who are going to inherit the money, are making $250,000 in combined income, which is very common right now. If that's the case, when they inherit an IRA, they have to take it out over a 10-year period now under the new laws. So if you pass them, let's say, just for a round number, a million dollars, they're going to have to take out quite a lot of money, you know, probably in the hundred and twenty-five dollars to $150,000 a year to get that out over 10 years because it's going to be growing at the same time, right? So uh, if you do that, you're going to push them from 250000 to maybe $400,000 worth of income. So they're going to be paying a lot more taxes on that. Whereas if you had converted to a Roth IRA while you were still here, that would not be adding income tax burden for them. So if you're in a low tax bracket and your beneficiaries are in a high high tax bracket. That's one of the situations where a Roth conversion could potentially make sense, assuming you're willing to, uh, you know, fork over the money to the government to do it. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd about ways that you can save on taxes in retirement. The next one is initiating an IRA conversion. Can you convert your traditional IRA balance to a Roth IRA? You absolutely can, Jeff. And we do a lot of what if scenarios around here looking at that for people. I will tell you what we have generally found. We've generally found that if that's something that makes sense based on your tax bracket, your current earnings, that sort of thing, and you have a 10-year window maybe, or at least a five-year window with which to convert that money, it really helps to mitigate taxes. Now, obviously it depends on the size of the traditional IRA or 401k as to how much tax impact you know, you're going to have on your yearly taxes. But I would just say this, we can run the scenarios and really look at it. The thing that we have to realize and, and think about is once we convert and we pay the tax, we're going to have less money available to earn for us. So, you know, if you're sitting here and you're in a pretty high tax bracket and it's going to cost you 25 or 30 percent to convert, just realize that that would have been money you would have had left in your account to grow money on. So we always have to look at what's the impact of doing the conversion, not only in today's tax dollars, but also the money we gave up to pay taxes that won't be earning for us in the future. And that's kind of the balancing act we look at. We look at the tax brackets. Of course, nobody knows for sure what tax brackets are going to be in the future, but we can make some pretty sound judgments looking at tax brackets today and looking at where you really are, where you're going to be in retirement to see if doing a Roth conversion really makes sense or not. Many people receive a tax refund. I receive a tax refund not as much as I used to because I'd rather, you know, keep the money in my bank account while paying my fair share of taxes. But a lot of people design it so that they can get a tax refund. Is there a way that you can get a tax refund and delay or minimize the taxes on that? Yeah, you know, there's this is something that I knew existed, but I've, I've never really, you know, thought that much about it. And I guess this is the reason I didn't think much about it. I know most people plan their vacation around getting their tax refund, right? right? <laughs> so, right. Or they want to pay off a bill or, sure. or something like that. Well, pay off your retirement bill. Yeah. You know, there's a form that you can get from the IRS, the form 8888 that allows you to basically have that money put into an IRA account. And, you know, that's really not a bad idea, you know, for people to do. And, you know, sometimes when you're not expecting that tax refund and you get one, you go, oh, hey, this was pretty good. That might be the year to do it. Yeah, so that's a good idea. You can directly deposit your tax refund into your IRA account using IRS form 8888. We're continuing here with ways to reduce your tax bill, saving for retirement. And the next one is claiming a saver's credit. 
Yeah, and this is one that I don't think most people know about, and it's something that I'd maybe heard the term before, but I hadn't really looked into it. But basically, workers who are not in the higher income ranges, you know, and, and let me kind of clarify that. If you're a single person who earns $36,500 a year or less as a single person or 54750 as the head of a household or $73,000 as part of a married couple, you could be eligible for the Savers Tax credit. So let's talk about how that works. Let's say that as a couple, you save $4,000 into your retirement accounts. The government's willing to give you a tax credit. And I don't know the particulars of this. I'll be honest with you. I have to defer to Rod Link on this one, our tax guy here in the building. But somewhere between 10 and 50% of that contribution you made can be given to you as a tax credit. Now, not a tax deduction, an actual tax credit. So what that means is if I put in 4,000 and I qualify for that 50% tax credit, $2,000 of my taxes will be paid. Not just a deduction, $2,000 of my taxes will actually be paid. That's really a quite good tool for a lot of people. And so uh, if you want to know more about this, give us a call. We'll get Rod Link uh, on the case here, and and we'll help you guys to get your tax credit. And who doesn't want a tax credit? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or a tax deduction. I'll take anything off my taxes. And the final one is taking a qualified charitable distribution. That is a QCD. How does that work? Yeah, Jeff, that's a that's a very good point. The qualified charitable distribution is a way for people, and I have to back up and give you a little background on this as well. So it used to be when we would make charitable contributions, we were able to take deductions, what was called above the line, before they actually figured your adjusted gross income. So you could make charitable contributions and you could tax deduct those, you know, right away, right off the top. But now with the higher standard deductions, and I think for people 65 and older, I think the current deduction is 27,000, maybe 700. And so if you don't get north of that with your deductions for church and charity and you know interest you may pay on your house, you don't get to qualify for those deductions anymore. However, if you were to use the QCD, you will be able to take distributions out of your IRAs and pay them directly to charity, and it doesn't show up on your tax rolls, and it also satisfies your required minimum distribution. Now, you have to be 70 and a half and older, and you can transfer up to $100,000 to a charity without paying any income tax on the transaction. So when you turn 72, you must start taking what's called required minimum distributions. So the QCD, again, when you do that, can cover your required minimum distribution, but you can do it and make those gifts to charity starting at 70 and a half. Not 72. 72 is when you must start taking RMD. So I don't want to confuse the two. But starting at 70 and a half, if you've got some charities you want to give to, you can do it and use the qualified charitable distribution method. If our listeners want to know more about reducing your tax bill by saving for retirement, of course, you can talk about it with Randy and Jake Floyd by getting in and getting your no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment financial review. Certainly, Randy and Jake will cover it all for you. And if we need to call in Rod Link on your case, we're happy to do that. Once again, no cost, no obligation for this initial financial review. Call 417-889-7233 for your opportunity to sit down and ask your individual questions to get the answers tailored specifically for you. 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary review online by going out to floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. And while you're there, check out the website. There are a lot of great articles on the education tab there, useful guides, money news you can use, important birthdays, and 
of course, the blog. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. When we come back, we're going to be discussing the difference between wealth preservation and income generation. When our show continues here on 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. If you want to retire anytime soon, there are three factors that will affect your finances. The stock market, the economy, and tomorrow's tax bill. No one knows what the future may bring, but we do know that now is the time to have a plan and people you can trust to help guide you. At Floyd Financial Group, we focus on those nearing or already in retirement for times just like these. We've seen the bumpy times before and we'll see them again. And we remain cautious and prudent for today, but optimistic about tomorrow. To request a complimentary consultation, visit floydfinancialgroup.com. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good. Because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about the difference between wealth preservation and income generation. And I would think that the difference is obvious. Wealth preservation is saving what you got. Income generation is generating more income. My question is, can you do the both? So let's start there. Yeah, you certainly can, Jeff. You know, depending on, you know, how we invest our money, you know, determines what our risk level is. We also can look at, you know, certain things are good at paying out income. Other things are good at maybe building wealth over the long term. And certainly protecting what you own, land, homes, all that sort of thing, including your investments, will change over time. And your risk tolerance and the amount of protection that you need is going to really change as we age. So the idea here would be that we don't want to just put our money in a place that's ultimately safe and doesn't make us any money. Now, recent times here, we actually have very safe investments that are paying nearly 5% right now. But if we look back over our shoulder for a very long time, those safe investments were paying 0.1, And so it was really hard to have much income. You were preserving, you know, you weren't having any market loss, but you really weren't preserving wealth because if you need to live off some of those assets, you weren't generating enough income to live off of. So, you know, increasingly, you know, retirees are relying on their investment accounts to provide income. And so, you know, we see people every day coming in here right now with lots of money sitting still, believe it or not, still today in bank accounts earning 0.25 and 0.5%. So, you know, they're just watching their money get spent down and spent down and spent down. And so now they're coming in and realizing that there are other ways to park money where we can actually get income generation. One of the things that I often talk about, and there's a lot of talk around this today, is should I be buying gold and silver? And, you know, I will say this, you know, gold and silver are fine investments. However, they just, they don't pay a dividend. They don't produce income and you got to know exactly when to buy, exactly when to sell, and you got to pay the piper to buy and sell each time that you do. So from a retirement income product, I don't think that gold and silver is where I would really want to be right now today. So, Randy, I see these commercials all the time. Bill Devane is on them talking about, you know, wealth preservation, buying gold and and silver. And really, they make a compelling case for that. But as you said, you really have to figure the fees that are involved in that. Is there ever a time when having precious metals makes sense in terms of wealth preservation? So, Jeff, I think that if you already have gold sitting at home or silver, you know, you don't need to rush out and sell it. What we're saying is from a retirement savings standpoint, 
you know, it's very difficult to overcome the commission around buying and selling gold and silver in a stock setting, for example. Before 2020, you know, you might pay at Fidelity 6 or $7 a trade. So if that trade was $100,000, you'd pay 6 or $7. If you go and buy $100,000 worth of gold, you are at very minimum going to be paying four or $5,000 worth of commission. And so being able to trade freely with gold and silver is very difficult for the average person person to do. You know, now if you're a dealer, you can you can do better than that, but for the average person, they're not going to be able to do a lot better than that. And that's why you see it constantly marketed on radio and TV and everything is cuz it's extremely profitable. That's why they have a lot of these celebrity endorsers, you know. Yeah. And I don't need to name names cuz they're on constantly everywhere, but you know, these people that are well known by people that are 60 to 70, 80 years old and they're endorsing this gold, you know, and meanwhile they're kind of in a lot of cases they're kind of ripping off the public and so uh, I have a, a major issue with that buying gold and silver itself is not necessarily bad but it is difficult to work with in an income type scenario uh, like we're talking about here we're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd Floyd Financial Group we're talking about the difference between wealth preservation and income generation what are some of the key mistakes to avoid when transitioning from growing your savings to turning those savings into income I think first and foremost, Jeff, people need to think about the fact that they probably need to change their strategy. Some people have been very aggressive. You know, you have to realize over the last, what, 13 years, I guess now, we had an 11-year bull market, and then we've had, well, actually two and a half, almost three years now of volatility, extreme volatility. So really looking at asset classes for what they really are and understanding them becomes very important when you get to retirement age and you're looking to pull income. Looking at past performance is another problem that sometimes comes in where they say, well, you know, this mutual fund over the last few years has delivered X. And if you're looking for the highest one, the one that's delivered the highest returns, statistics and history will tell you that those are probably not the ones that'll do the same thing the next year or two. So we have to really be careful and look at asset classes for what they are and what the possibilities of them generating income for you long term and not having price maybe depreciation versus, you know, what happens in a down market and can we survive the downside while we're living out of our assets versus when before all we were doing was accumulating assets, not living out of them. That is the big determining factor that helps us to build portfolios that will stand the test of time. And I think the big question, we always come back to this, but it's because most people wonder about this wealth preservation and generating income and doing both. But, you know, I think there's a little different strategy when you're younger versus getting into retirement. I mean, when you get into retirement, I know that wealth preservation, very, very important. How much you have is almost pretty much all you're ever going to have. So you want to preserve that. Would you say that the emphasis should be more on preserving wealth when you get into retirement versus income generation? Or is it very important to try to do both of those and in what percentages? I think a lot of that really depends on the individual, Jeff, or the the couple that you're talking about. You know, goals are very important when we're talking about strategy. If you're one of those that's lucky enough to have worked for a, a large company that offers a big pension and things like that, and you get your Social Security, we have people that come in that don't need any money off of their savings. Hmm. You know, and so obviously that person's goal is going to be 
quite a lot different than somebody who has minimal social security and really needs to maximize income in order to make ends meet in retirement. So I don't want to generalize too much, but I think that by and large, you need a balance, right? There's a lot of ways to generate income that are irrevocable, like a pension, for example. A lot of people don't realize that in a pension, there's a big pile of money behind it, and then it gets converted via an annuity Mm -hmm. to an income stream. And so you take a lump sum of $500,000 and it becomes $30,000 a year or $25,000. $500 a month, and there's no reversing that. The way we prefer to operate is to keep our pile of money, make a decent return, and we'll we'll still pull our 5% income or whatever, but we'll still have the pile of money. And the, the beauty of that is that we like to have as many options as possible. If we irrevocably start an income stream, that really takes a lot of options away. And and when you first get into retirement, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. You don't know exactly how much money you're going to need in retirement. You may think that you know, but as you get into retirement, you know, you try to figure out what you're going to do with all your time that you have recently acquired and you're helping out people. And you, know, you might have thought that you needed more money and you were going to travel more, but it turns out, you know, hey, you like America and you don't really want to travel abroad and right. uh, you have another grandkid you want to spend time with and mm-hmm. things like that. And so maybe we need to reduce the income. There's no sense in taking income just to pay taxes on it if you don't need it. And conversely, you may need more than what you thought because you have all this extra time. And so again, I know, I know we always say on the show, it depends. Mm-hmm. This is definitely one of those things where it definitely depends on the couple or the individual that we're talking about, what their goals are and what their needs are to answer that question a little bit more specifically. And that's why we offer our free consultation so that you can come in, we can get to know each other, and once we understand a little bit more about you, we can answer those more specific questions. In your years of financial planning at Floyd Financial Group, I know, Randy, that you have helped hundreds, if not thousands, of people retire. This is a question that most people have, income generation versus wealth preservation. Would you say that most people, or tell me the percentage here, or maybe not a percentage, but what is the more common thing? Do most people need to generate extra income in retirement, or do most people really get by on just saving what they've got? Yeah, I would say probably 90% of people need income off of uh, their investments. Would you say that's about right, Randy? I would say that is exactly it. Now, on the wealth preservation side, everybody, I say everybody, I hate to generalize like that. A lot of people, and we ask this question a lot, you know, how important is it that you pass something along to your beneficiaries, your children, or whoever that may be? And we ask them, you know, from one being not very important to 10 being very important, what does that look like? We have it all over the board. Some people say, I want my last check, I write to bounce. Um, Other people say, you know, I will do anything that I need to to leave my kids a million dollars. So wealth preservation there is very important to those people. And then there's other people say, hey, you know what? I have worked 30 years, I've worked 40 years. I want income. I'm ready to go travel. I'm going to go have some fun. So, you know, again, we, we have all shapes and sizes, but the, the basic two sizes, one's preservation, one's income. But I think most of the time people want income because they can go and spend time with their families as well as their husband and wife and travel and do the things that they've dreamed about for years. How much income do you need in retirement and how are you going to save what you've got? That's a big question. Well, to get the answer, contact Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group. Get your no cost, no obligation, no judgment financial review. 417-889-7233 is the number to call. Get on the calendar right now. Ashley will find a spot for you. Once again, 417-889-7233. Again, no cost, no obligation. Certainly, there is no judgment to get this plan. Why would you not want to get in, sit down, and take advantage of this unique opportunity? 
You can also request your financial consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com, floydfinancialgroup.com. We're out of time for this week. Randy and Jake, I want to thank you for your time, but most of all, I want to thank the fine people here of the last bastion of sanity, Springfield, Missouri, for joining us. For Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a blessed day out there and have a great day in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.